Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brokenness to Faith podcast. My name is Noah, and I will be your host for today. It'll be just me today. You know, the past couple weeks, me and Mark have been just kind of unable to match our schedules, um, you know, between work and holidays and vacation Bible school. And, you know, I'm, I'm out of town for a little bit to do some training for work. And so we just had a hard time <clears throat> getting our, our two schedules to line up so that we would have the time to sit down and record something for you guys. So I'll be doing something on my own. And then, you know, me and Mark are going to try to figure out some time to record some stuff. We'll probably do maybe a big episode and split up into parts or something along those lines. I'm not sure yet, but um, as it currently stands, this is how it's going to be. I'll, I'll do an episode. Maybe Mark will do something, maybe not. Um, and yeah, so thank you for joining me. Um, as always, uh, please send us any uh, suggestions, comments, concerns. Um, you can email us, brokennesstofaith at gmail.com is the best way to reach us because, you know, obviously the Instagram, we, we don't really touch. But uh, yeah, send us an email. Let us know how we're doing, you know, what you think. If you have any suggestions, anything that comes up that you want us to dive into, talk about, anything at all, just please let us know. Um, so yeah, so with that, let's get into the topic today. Um, I have a feeling this could go long, so I'll try to keep it short, um, but no promises. You'll be able to tell by the uh, the time mark <laughs> if I was able to keep this uh, within a decent amount of time. Um, one other note I should mention, I like I said, I'm out of town for training, so I am in a uh, hotel right now. So hopefully there's not too much background noise or echo or, you know, there might be some car noises or people outside, whatever. So bear with me. Um, It's not an ideal place to record, but I wanted to get something done because I'm not going to have time this weekend. So I wanted to get something done during the week so I can have it ready for you guys when you're listening to this. Um, So yeah, so let's get into it. Um, Today I want to cover something that might be a bit uh, edgy, I guess you could say. Um, There is a point to what I'm going to be doing today. I do have some key points that I want to make as well as some some practical applications that we can take with us. I I came across this article and I'll add my own things to this as well. But basically the article is a list of things not found in the Bible. Now, I'm going to go through this list, and there is a reason for this. I won't say it just yet, but there's a reason for this. There's a reason why I'm going to be sharing these things. Um, Basically, these are are misconceptions, things that maybe you thought were true, maybe you heard once or you thought you read, but there's actually no scripture, no verse that actually says any of these things. Now, one other thing I should mention, please don't grab your stones just yet. <laughs> I might say something or bring something up that you're like, I swear that is in the Bible. I know it's in there. You're welcome to fact check these things. You know, you can come back, listen to the episode in full, but come back, go one by one, fact check them. I promise you I did myself. I went through not only the ones I found, but the ones that were in this article. I checked. I I tried to find anything I could. And I should note that these are things that are not explicitly said in words, right? They might be inferred, they might be implied, they might be hinted at, but they're not explicitly said. I I should make that note, right? Because, you know, there's a fine line there. And yeah, I might say something that you don't agree with, that you're convinced is there, but I promise you it it isn't. And there's a reason for this. So just bear with me. I want to read these to you because... Um, partly just because it can be a good exercise to kind of maybe there's something here that you didn't know. Some of these you probably know that, you know, yeah, that's something that's commonly believed that's not in Scripture. Some of these might surprise you. Some of them I didn't know. But there's a purpose for this. So bear with me as I get through these and and just sit back, enjoy, listen. You can take notes on these if you want. But this is partly for the knowledge, partly because there is a reason for all of this. Okay, I want to make that clear. There's a reason and save your your judgments till the end, right? Let me get through this list. Let me tell you what the importance is. 
and, and what I'm actually trying to get to, and then you can pick up your stones and throw them at me if you want. Uh, number one, angels with wings. Um, there are mention of angels in the Bible, but there's no mention that they have wings. There's no mention that people become angels when they die. Um, also, there's no mention that angels are actually singing at the birth of Jesus, but rather they're just speaking. Um, and this is an important distinction. There's various types of heavenly beings, right? Because you have the seraphim that are mentioned to have wings, um, but seraphim are not angels. Not going to get into the whole you know, depth there, but angels don't have wings. And they're certainly not fat little babies as well, right? Those are not angels. <laughs> angels don't have wings. Number two, the devil with horns and a pitchfork, right? The, the Bible obviously talks about the devil. We know that he is a real being, but he doesn't have red skin, doesn't have horns, doesn't have a pitchfork. Really, we don't know what he would, if anything, look like. Any account of a battle at Armageddon, right? We know Armageddon is a real place, and the Bible does say that armies gather, but it never actually mentions there's going to be a battle at Armageddon. Female angels mentioned in the Bible. Um, it's important to note that in both of the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, uh, spiritual matters are often described in a masculine sense, whereas femininity usually comes from the earth, right? So some common words that you might have heard, uh, Malkuth, Shekinah, these are feminine words often you know, referring to earthly matters, right? And, and there's many reasons for this distinction, you know, even the um, uh, that Christmas song, right? Let earth receive her king, right? You know, earth is described in this feminine sense. And the point to say is that angels probably don't have a gender, but you often see angels in gift shops or in, in movies and television depicted as females but there's really no scripture that says that a single apocalyptic apocalyptic excuse me antichrist figure right the bible mentions the antichrist but he never john never really specifies that it's going to be one person to that same uh point the bible doesn't say that this antichrist is also the same beast that's mentioned in revelation the Bible doesn't mention that people mocked Noah for building the ark. It's kind of a, a, a small detail here, but many pairs of animals were taken onto the ark at one time, not just two by two, right? We all see the old kids' books where you have a pair of animals, a pair of animals, a pair of animals. That's not really how it went. The Bible doesn't say that. And it doesn't mention that people ever mocked Noah for building the ark. Jesus being the reason for the winter season, right? You hear all the time, he's the reason for the season. Reality, we don't know when Jesus was born. He was likely born in, in the, the summer. And the Bible definitely does not tell us that Jesus was born in December. The word or even the concept of a halo <coughs> is not in the Bible. Halo is, does not exist in scripture. Uh, here's one that might ruffle a couple of feathers. Any prohibition against certain kinds of curse words. Taking the name of the Lord is mentioned, right? It's forbidden in the Ten Commandments, right? There are strict prohibitions against taking the Lord's name in vain. But cursing is not necessarily that way, right? Now, of course, cursing in the sense of... Um, cursing people, right? Like, you know, saying a curse on somebody or, or wishing bad things on somebody is. But, you know, the F word, S words, whatever words, right? Curse words are not prohibited. There's, there's no scripture that says you can't say these things. There's, again, the only real prohibition against cursing is the Lord's name. But there is no other word that is compared that, that we could look at today. You know, and I say this kind of ruffles, ruffles feathers because I know a lot of, of 
us believers, we don't like the use of curse words, and I don't encourage it. I still don't think it's, you know, something we should use, but there's no scripture that says you can't. Uh, Moving on. Any encouragement to celebrate Advent or Lent, or really any mention of them at all, right? Lent is not in scripture. There's no reason we need to celebrate it or any basis for it, whatever. Here's an interesting one. No English version of the Bible, or excuse me, let me rephrase this. There is no scriptural evidence that God's name should be capitalized, right? None of the original scripture, the original languages, even have an uppercase or lowercase system, right? Ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew, there was no capitalization. And so this idea that the... uh, you know, pronouns of God are to be capitalized really are not scriptural in any way. That's kind of something we like to do to distinguish him. And it's, sure, that's fine, but it's not scriptural in any way. Uh, any mention of birth control at all. There's plenty of encouragement to have children in the Bible, sure, but the Bible doesn't talk about birth control really in any way. Partly because birth control is somewhat of a recent invention in comparison to the Bible, but you know, there's no real mention of it anywhere. The idea that God calls us to be our brother's keeper, it's not scriptural, right? You know, Cain does ask God, am I my brother's keeper? But that's it, right? God doesn't tell us to keep track of one another or or to be this brother's keeper, whatever that might mean. No mention of the New Testament church celebrating Ash Wednesday or any real suggestion to do so in the future, right? The New Testament doesn't mention Ash Wednesday, and there's no uh, basis to assume that that should be the case in the future. Here's another one. No mention of an apple being in the Garden of Eden, right? The Bible says there's a fruit. The Bible doesn't tell us what kind of fruit, right? You often see the images show an apple, but it really could have been anything. It could be, you know, a date. could have been a, a banana. We don't know. Um, any suggestion that clergy have to perform marriages or even should. I mean, really, there's no uh, a biblical basis that a wedding is anything more than just a family feast or reception or whatever, right? In the Old Testament, priests never performed weddings, at least nowhere that's seen in the Bible. Um, you know, not that pastors can't, but there's no scriptural basis that a pastor or a priest has to be the one to do a wedding. Uh, the Bible says that those who have sex before marriage should indeed get married. This is not in, in scripture, you know, or any mention that once you join with somebody through this way that there's any uh, permanent consequences. Another in the same vein, any specific prohibition against living with somebody before marriage right? It's hard to find. Uh, in, in the Bible, most of the marriages were, you know, the, the courtship, the betrothal, and then the marriage, right? There's certain customs in place where you would maybe not even see your spouse, then you get engaged, and then you, you still don't really see them, and then you're married, right? You know, the customs of the Bible don't match ours, so it's hard to really find any specific verse that says don't live with your your partner right this is something that we've kind of added on and 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 speaking back to the idea of the clergy involved in marriage there's no mention of ordained clergy in the early church at all right it's important to remember that both jesus and paul were lay preachers Uh, in other words they were people who worked some kind of a job and then they preached on the side or they took a break to go preach and then they you would come back whatever um you know obviously jesus was a carpenter which we'll come back to and paul uh supplied tents to the roman army and and so both of these men were not ordained preachers per se they they worked they did other things they would preach on the side they would you know do some work do some preaching go between the two. And, and it's important to note that the Bible doesn't really specify that 
the the clergy, the the leaders of the church, had to be entirely devoted to that uh, uh, specific um, uh, ministry. Uh, here's another really good one. There's no explanation within Scripture that explains how worship switched from Saturdays, which is traditionally Sabbath, to Sundays. It, there's no biblical explanation for why that happened. And, and believe me, I'm not saying we need to go back to Saturday worships, but it, it's worth noting that the Bible doesn't say stop doing this or, or do that, right, in terms of, of the Sabbath. Going back to what I mentioned about Jesus being a carpenter, the uh, the scripture doesn't suggest that he was just a carpenter at all, let alone a poor one, right? Uh, the original word likely means uh, a builder or a contractor. Given how that word is used, it was likely that Jesus actually worked with stone more than he did with wood, um, based off translations um, and so on. Uh, here's a good one that might ruffle some feathers. Um, any sense that communion or baptism or a similar type of quote-unquote sin management so we can get to heaven were central to Jesus's teaching, right? Obviously, Jesus mentions baptism. He obviously mentions communion and it talks about what it means and the importance of it, but these were not central to what Jesus was trying to teach. His teaching was always about the kingdom, about you know having faith and, and what that faith can do and, and how to use that faith to get others into the kingdom. Communion, baptism were important, but never truly a part of his teaching, and there's no scripture to back that up, that what Jesus was trying to do was to teach us communion or baptism or so on. Here's a, a, a quick one from Sunday school. We all know this. Jonah was not swallowed by a fish, um, or excuse me, by a whale. It just says that it was a fish. It could have been anything. We assume it was a whale, but it could have been anything. Here's one that surprised me. Jesus uttering the word grace. There's, and again, maybe I'm wrong. My research might not have been complete. But I could not find any point where Jesus says the word grace. Maybe in certain English translations, but in terms of the Greek, he never says the word grace. It's not in scripture. Um, here's another one to the same vein as that. Any word for faith, as we would understand it, right? As we, as you know, New Testament faith being mentioned in the Old Testament. It's just not there. I mean, yes, there's images of faith, and the New Testament might talk about it, but within the context of the Old Testament and the context of Hebrew, there's really no word for faith as we know it today. Um, here's one, discipleship. This is kind of a made-up word from our, in today, you know, it's somewhat based off mistranslation, but yeah, discipleship, this idea of having somebody under your wing, it's a great idea, and we need more of it, but it's not really found in Scripture in the way that we would know of it uh, today. Shepherds and wise men visiting baby Jesus at the same time. The, the wise men came far after the birth of Jesus, right? He was probably a couple months, if not a year old, by the time the wise men got to him, right? We all have the nativity where you see, uh, you know, the shepherds and the wise men, but that wasn't the case. And it's worth noting that the scripture doesn't necessarily specify who these people were, but it's important to know that these were probably Zoroastrian uh, holy men, right? These weren't prophets, these weren't Christians, these were you know, people of Persia who believed entirely different faith, but were skilled astronomers who recognized that the star in the sky was something unique worth investigating. But scripture doesn't tell us they were there at the same time. They don't tell us there was three. Uh, anything that specifically says Jesus was single. Now, there's no evidence either way, right? There's no scripture that says he was single. There's no scripture that says he wasn't. But it's worth noting that most ancient records of famous people, right, of emperors and kings, 
most of them, if not all of them, mention the spouse, <laughs> right? In ancient history, people don't care about who you're married to. They care about who you are. So if Jesus was not single, there would be no mention of it either way, but the, the scripture doesn't specifically say that he was single his entire life. The fact that we live in heaven forever, no matter what your, your view of the end times are, the revelation does tell us that we end up back on earth, right? A, a new earth, a new creation, but that we come back here. So there's no mention that we're in heaven forever. Any suggestion that we should dress up for church, <laughs> right? It's not in scripture. Um, you know, I'm not advocating indecency, but the scripture doesn't tell us how to dress up for church if we need to dress up or whatever any prohibition of gambling there's no clear scripture that says not to gamble any record of voting in the early church now i i know if you're listening to this and you go to the same church as i do uh you know we do have our yearly business meeting where we go over new addition to the bylaws and we go over financing and we make any votes that need to you know happen but there's no mention of that in scripture in fact most of the early church would cast lots for big decisions right just like we saw with jonah and some of the earlier priests you know you they would cast lots and they would basically let god decide and there was definitely no mention of of business meetings <laughs> here's another one kind of in a similar vein any sense that the that the order of service matters or really any mention of it at all the, there is no mention of order of service the the liturgy of how things should be it's not in scripture you know most of the churches probably you know were 10 people meeting in a house anyway so there was not going to be any one standard one size fits all for how a church operated in the new testament so of course there was no real mention as to how a service had to be structured what needed to be in it what needed to be left out any overwhelming proof that jesus was poor um some evidence suggests the contrary that he might have been fairly well off but scripture certainly doesn't tell us that jesus was just a poor you know carpenter or whatever Right? Not that that changes anything, but it's worth noting that he wasn't some poor guy who just kind of traveled around and then started his ministry. And he mentioned that Mary remained a virgin after Jesus' birth. Clearly, Scripture tells us she was a virgin prior to his birth, but there's no mention that she remained so afterwards. Again, not that it matters, but um, it, it's something that's not in Scripture. Here's one that is unfortunately become far more relevant uh, as of recording this. Um, it was not relevant prior to when I made this list, but it is now something that's uh, quite relevant. But the scripture does not directly mention or describe an abortion. In fact, it really doesn't comment on it at all. Now, obviously, scripture talks about you know god knowing us before we're born he, it talks about the magnificence of human creation but there is no mention or description of abortion as we would know of it today right the ending of a fetus or anything happening to the pregnancy once it was actually there it's it's not in scripture you can look you can challenge me on this if you want unfortunately it's not there um any record of confirmation classes or ceremonies or membership at all. Um, I am not a member of my church. You know, there's no scripture for it. Any direct link of Mary Magdalene being a prostitute or a woman of ill repute. There's no mention of it, right? There's not much mention of her really at all prior to her, uh, you know, conversion event, I guess you could call it. Any place where the original languages, Hebrew or Greek, of the Bible say that a person is possessed by an evil spirit. Usually, the, the words will say that a person has an unclean spirit or something of that similar. And I like the way this person put it, is that we have unclean spirits, they don't have us, right? 
In fact, most modern translations that use the word possessed were published after the exorcist came out, <laughs> right? The exorcist was such a, a, a powerful and cultural defining film that it popularized the term possession. Prior to that, there's no mention of it in most English translations, let alone any original text using this idea of possession, of, of these spirits having control over the individual. Another one, I think I'm at like 40 something. I still got a few more to go. Um, any specific mention of transgenderism? Um, there is specific mention and, and specific um, forbidding of men and women wearing clothes of the other gender, right? The Bible does talk about that, but not specifically transgenderism, not specifically transitioning from one gender to the other. That's not mentioned. Um, here's one. If anybody listening happens to be a socialist, this one's for you. Um, any sense that Jesus wanted the government, i.e. Caesar, to take care of the poor? Jesus does not mention that in any regards. There's no explicit direct uh, uh, mention that Jesus wanted the government to be the ones to take care of the poor. Um, any record of anything Jesus said in his native language of, of um, Aramaic, except for a few exceptions, um, Abba, Talitha Kuma, Raka, Maimon, uh, Jot and Tidal, um, and one other one that I'm not going to try to pronounce that's it. Uh, most of what he said was written down um, in Greek by people who spoke Greek. Uh, much of his original Aramaic, unfortunately, did not make it into um, the scripture. Anyone praying with hands folded? It's not mentioned in scripture, right? There's no mention of what to do with your hands when you're praying, right? When the disciples asked God, how do I pray? He didn't say, fold your hands, put your hands together, or, you know, bow your eyes, close your heads, whatever, you know. It's not mentioned specifically. Here's a, a, a simple one. Pews and pulpits. <laughs> uh, there's no mention of pulpits. There's no mention of pews. Um, I have no problem with pulpits or pews, but it's not in Scripture. Again, they were meeting in people's houses, right? The average uh, uh, Jewish person living in Israel isn't going to have pews or a pulpit in their house, <laughs> Right? There's no mention of it. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, I had not heard this one, but apparently people believe this is in Scripture. Uh, it's not. It was actually Benjamin Franklin who said that, um, that God helps those who help themselves. Not in Scripture, Benjamin Franklin. Another quote here that is somewhat, uh, I guess, popular. I've never heard this one. God will never give you anything you can't. Bear. I, I believe this is probably based off of, uh, I think in 1 Corinthians, it talks about God not giving you anything that's too much or something to that extent, but the specific saying that God will never give you anything you can't bear is not in Scripture. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, that would be Franken, uh, Francis Bacon, not the Bible. Uh, cleanliness is not next to godliness. Uh, any suggestion that churches should be decorated with crosses outside or inside? Um, or to that fact, to that matter, any mention of church buildings at all? Again, the New Testament church were people meeting in houses. There was no mention of church buildings, no mention of displaying any crosses or really any form of, of imagery within the church at all. There was no mention of this, no basis scripturally to back up the idea of, of buildings and artwork and, and so on and so forth. Any blanket prohibition of drinking alcohol? Obviously, there are people within the scripture who drink alcohol who are not deemed sinful for it. The Bible does talk about staying alert. It does talk about, you know, not losing your, your control. But it doesn't specifically say that you can't drink alcohol. This one kind of follows up the, uh, what I mentioned before about dressing up. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention that church leaders should wear different clothing than everybody else. 
right? You, any of you who have gone to a Catholic church, the priest is usually wearing robes. You know, they have different items that they're wearing, hats and whatnot. There's no scripture for that. You know, the preacher can wear whatever they want. You know, doesn't have to match the rest of the congregation. Doesn't have to be better. Doesn't have to be worse. You know, they can dress how they want, just like the people attending the church. Speaking of the church, anything that says church music should be reflective, subdued, played on an organ, you know, there's no specific mention of how worship music has to be done. I mean, if you look at some of the Psalms, they were clashing cymbals, there's trumpets, they're shouting, right? Some of the description of the music in in the the Old Testament is very loud, it's very uh, uh, joyful in its sound, you know? And so, sure, there's benefits to reflective, semi-acoustic worship, but, you know, the scripture doesn't tell you how to play your worship music. You know, you don't really need music at all. It, it, it's Worship is kind of a, a state of mind and state of heart as much as it is an action of, of what we're doing. Um, anything that says women can't wear pants um, or use makeup, I mean, Pants aren't mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Um, you know, nothing says women can't wear pants or makeup. Uh, anything that women should work at home, you know, that's not in Scripture. You know, women don't have to be uh, uh, housewives. They don't have to work at home. That's not in the Bible. Any any specific mention of uh, age of accountability for baptism um, or really mention of the concept at all, right? There's no specific point at which somebody has to be age-wise in order to be baptized. Um, also, that that baptism has to be by submersion. Um, you know, most of us know that, right? I mean, we're not super picky about it, but um, Paul was baptized in a house, probably didn't have running water. They probably filled up a cup and poured it on him. You know what I mean? I'm sure some of you have seen videos or images of people on mission fields, <coughs> excuse me, mission fields who are baptizing people in kiddie pools or baptizing them under cups of water. I mean, we baptize people in pools. I mean, it doesn't have to be full submersion because at the end of the day, it's the symbolism of the act, not the actual submersion that really matters. Any mention that there should be separate departments in the church, for example, the kids, the youth groups, uh, men and women's ministries, you know, these are great, and of course we should have them, but the Bible doesn't mention them. Again, you know, the church in the New Testament was just a bunch of people meeting in a house, so, you know, kids would come, youth would come, men and women would come together, right? There was no segmenting of the church into these different groups. I mean, you kind of need that if you have more people, but there's no biblical basis for it. The word or any form of description of a trinity, um, I'll use this later on, so uh, put a note on that one, but the trinity is not mentioned explicitly anywhere, or the word trinity is not used anywhere in scripture. Any mention that Elijah was taken up in a chariot, uh, the Bible does tell us that Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, but not necessarily in a chariot. Um, some of you have probably seen artwork of him in a chariot. It's not in the Bible. Any mention that God was the one who changed Saul's name to Paul. Paulos, the, the Greek name, means shorty, right? It was typically a Greek nickname uh, or maybe like a trade name or something along those lines. You know, that was not explicitly said that God was the one who changed Saul's name. You know, it was probably intentional, and Paul probably wanted to be known as something different instead of Saul because of the connotation that that name had because of his past, but the scripture doesn't tell us that it was God who did it. Uh, The word wine being associated with the cup in the Last Supper, I mean, the fruit of the vine is probably wine, but the Bible doesn't say that it is. Uh, Jesus commands to baptize mentioning water, right? It could be spirit baptized, uh, spirit baptism. It doesn't specifically mention that Jesus is commanding us to baptize by water. The word rapture is not mentioned anywhere in the book of Revelation. 
at least not as the way we would understand the term. It's not in there. Anything mentioning that Jesus had long hair or even a beard is not in the Bible. Um, in fact, there's no description of what Jesus looked like. If we were to base it off of what the average Hebrew looked like at the time, he probably had short, dark, curly hair, maybe a short beard, maybe not, but it's not mentioned in the scripture. He definitely wasn't a white guy with long brown hair, so sorry to disappoint any of you. The phrase personal relationship with Jesus is not mentioned in the scripture. I mean, we use that term a lot, but it's not mentioned in the Bible. And here's the last one. Any record of someone ending a sermon by inviting people to receive Jesus into their hearts, right? We would know this today as an altar call, you know, but this was not something that was mentioned in the scripture and it probably wasn't practiced in the old church. I mean, they probably just had a free-flowing service where people could accept whenever they wanted to, but there was no mention of an altar call. So that concludes my list. And you're probably sitting there thinking, wow, I didn't know any of these. Maybe you knew some of them. You're probably thinking, what the heck does any of this have to do with anything? Why did you spend you know, 40 minutes throwing all these random things at me that's not in the Bible? Why do I need to know this? very important. I I wanted to start by sharing this list of things, not just because it's interesting and you probably learned something new. I know I did when I first went through this list, but there's a very, very specific reason I wanted to share this. And I wanted to start by giving you this list because I wanted to make you aware that there are certain things in that we believe or that we have heard or that we even, you know, have repeated that is not in the scriptures. Now, there's far more than the list that I gave you, but I wanted to bring to your attention some of those things. Now, I'm going to give you uh, five reasons why we often believe something's in scripture that isn't, and then I'm going to give you two practical takeaways from this. The first big issue is that we often mistake description for prescription, right? Description for prescription, Basically meaning, right, so for example, if Jesus came up out of the water, right, that's describing an event, right? Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water. Therefore, we conclude that baptism by immersion is commanded, right? That's the prescription, right? So Jesus came out of the water, therefore, baptism has to be by immersion or that it is commanded that we have baptism, period, But that's not the case, right? The Bible doesn't tell us that baptism is mandatory. It doesn't tell us that baptism has to be by full immersion, right? These are all things that we have prescribed because of something that was described in the scripture. And there are other instances of this where something is loosely described or an event occurs, and we assume that that is, you know, has to be done all the time. You know, this is, I think, more common in, say, the Catholic Church, right? Taking something like communion that was described and taking it as something that has to be done ritualistically X amount of times and so on and so forth. Um, the second big mistake is that we often equate terms that have no relationship with them, right? One of the first things I mentioned is that there's a distinction between seraphim and angels, right? Those are two different words used distinctly in the Old Testament to describe two different types of beings. And you're welcome to believe that angels are one thing, but the Bible uses different words for different things. And and sometimes, especially when we're dealing with translations from one language to another, we can sometimes take two entirely different terms and try to equate them together, right? Or that just because uh, uh, Jesus mentions one thing, that that automatically deals with something else mentioned somewhere else. And that's not necessarily the case. In fact, I feel like I often see this when people try to point to contradictions in the scripture, right? They'll take two different verses that appear contradictory, when in reality, they're not equal. They're not you know, equating the terms properly to where these are two entirely different scriptures talking about two entirely different things. Uh, The third mistake that we often make, especially when it comes to if some of these things were maybe upsetting to hear or or were 
overly surprising, we often have this mindset that, well, you can't disprove that this is, you know, not true or, or is true. You know, you can't prove or disprove that the Trinity is real or, or whatever else. But this is faulty logic, right? This is the, the stuff you hear in a lot of conspiracy theories is that, well, you can't disprove that politicians are lizard people. You can't prove that people landed on the moon, so on and so forth, right? Something can be true, but it might not be true because the Bible says it is. And this mentality that, well, just because the Bible doesn't say it is or it does say it is, I mean, we have to be willing to put aside our own, I guess, biases and our own, you know, desire for something to be true or not to be true and look at what scripture says. Moving on from that, the fourth one here, inference equals explicit command. This is a mistake I think all of us as Christians make. Just because something is inferred in scripture does not mean it is true. doesn't mean it isn't true, but it doesn't mean it is, right? Using this argument of the Trinity, which is something I'll be referring to a lot in the ending here, you can make the argument that the Bible infers a Trinity. And there's a pretty good argument to be made that it does, but the word is not used. There's no clear explanation for it. I saw one person put it like this. The Bible does not connect the dots. We do. But our dot connecting is not equivalent to an explicit Bible text. So the Trinity, right, the Bible gives us dots, right? We connect those dots and we can say, well, you know, God is likely three in one. But just because we come to that conclusion doesn't mean that that is the same as the scripture telling us it's true, right? It can still be true because we infer it and the scripture implies it, but it's not as powerful and as weighty as something that is explicitly said, right? We need to draw that line between what is inferred and implied versus what is explicitly said. And I will come back to this in a couple of moments. And the last thing I want to mention is that based off of this idea that inference does not equal explicit to that same sense, basically the same thing is that implicit does not equal explicit. Everything that I just mentioned, all the list of things that I just gave you, right? All these things that I mentioned were not in the Bible. These were things that are not explicitly said. They could still be true and they could still be implied and they could be inferred and there could be mentioned, but they're not explicitly said. That is the key that I, I want you to understand is that these are things not explicitly mentioned in the scripture. And this is key. This, this will, I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute because I want to move on to the uh, application, right? I want to start winding down, coming to a close here, and talk about what does this actually mean? What, what are we to take away from all of this? right? What, what is the point of this? Not just to, you know, one point is to improve how we read scripture, how we understand scripture, you know, what we know to be true and not true. It's important that we are understanding there's a distinction between what is implied and what is explicit. So the first takeaway, this is where you, you know, I want you to focus in if you kind of been touching base, coming in, coming out, not really paying attention, or some of this, you know, wasn't making sense because, you know, I'm not always the best at explaining things. This is the the key. This is the point of the whole podcast. This is it. If you haven't listened to anything, tune in right now. Get your notebooks, get your whatever. This is what matters. First point, make your own faith. If anything has been shown to you in this episode, it is that there are certain things we have come to believe, whether it's something somebody said, whether we thought we read it in scripture, whether we came to that conclusion ourselves, there are certain things that we believe that really is not found anywhere in scripture. And this is important because it speaks to a larger topic, right? A larger idea which is we need to be responsible for our own faith. It's important 
that we go to church and, and listen to preachers and pastors, but it's easy to rely too much on those avenues, right? If your only exposure of scripture is what your pastor tells you on Sunday, that's not enough, right? We need that. We need to go to church, and, and there's many important reasons to go. But if your entire understanding of scripture is based off of what your pastor is telling you, that's unfortunately not good enough. We have to be experiencing it ourselves, reading it ourselves. You know, I encourage you when, when you're reading scripture, if, if you see a word in a verse that feels like a key word, look up what that word is in Greek or Hebrew, right? See what the original uh, uh, word was and what it meant because it'll change how you view that scripture to see what it was in its original context. If, if you come across something that doesn't make sense or you have a question about something, investigate it. You know, if you have a question that you're, you know, you don't want to ask to a pastor because it might be controversial or it might be embarrassing or whatever, feel free to send it to us. I will happily do an episode answering your questions. But don't be afraid to ask those questions. You know, some time ago, maybe, I don't know, two, three months ago um, at this point, I, I did an episode on a tough question. And the, one of the main reasons I did that episode wasn't to answer the question. I mean, the question wasn't the most important part. It was to show that it's okay to ask tough questions, to ask questions that are not explicitly answered in scripture. You know, it was entirely based off of inference and implications and what was implied by the Bible and what could be read through the lines. But the whole point was to show that sometimes you have to fill in the blanks yourself, connect the dots yourself. Sometimes you have to ask those tough questions and be willing to challenge your perception of, of the Bible. Because if you're not doing that yourself, then you're going to get to this position where you believe what has been told to you without really knowing why you believe that. You know, uh, just this past weekend, um, Pastor Mark at Valley Christian Assembly, if, if you go to the church, then you probably have heard this message. If not, I encourage you to listen to it. Um, but he did a, a message on Isaac. And one of the key points of that message was the importance of creating your own faith, right? He used the example of building your own wells. Isaac had to go out and dig his own wells, right? He had to build his own altars. He had to create or, or have that experience with God instead of just going off of what his father had experienced, right? What Abraham had done. He had to go out and have his own experience and build his own uh, 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 foundation of faith. And it's important that we do as well because this is such a bigger topic than what I'm focusing on here. But again, I, I hope that in hearing all these different things that I mentioned that are not in scripture, some of them you probably did not know. And you're probably flipping through your Bible trying to find where it is and you're realizing that, wow, I, there was something here that I thought was there that really isn't. And I hope that this shows you that our understanding of scripture might not be as complete as we would like it to be. I mean, I've, I was surprised by some of the things in this list. I had to go and look and, and see if it was actually true or not. You know, but this is something we need to do. And, you know, I, I, I use myself as an example. I don't want to sound overly boastful, but I feel confident that I've gotten to a point in my faith where I've dealt with and answered a lot of really hard questions. A lot of people, when it comes to doubt in their faith, they have a reoccurring question where they ask themselves, why did God allow this thing to happen, right? Why did God allow this bad thing to happen? And you've probably asked yourself that question a million times. <clears throat> you probably know somebody if you yourself haven't briefly walked away from their faith because of that question. And this is obviously a question that I've dealt with because I feel every person deals with this question at some point. But whenever that at least in the past, when that question would come to my mind, why did God allow this bad thing to happen? Why did God allow this tragic thing to happen? Why did X happen, right? I have gotten to a point where because I studied scripture, because I, I looked at commentaries, I looked at what other theologians past and present had said, I, I thought about it, I meditated, I prayed, I 
you know, again, I went to scripture, I read verses, I tried to take the implicit and the explicit. And I've gotten to a point, again, not to be like, oh, look at me, but I've gotten to a point where this question doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> I, I'm proud and glad and 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 I boast in God that he's allowed me to get to a point where this question doesn't bother me. I don't I no longer wrestle with the question why does this thing happen? Why did this bad thing happen? Because I've gotten to a point where I've found an answer that I'm satisfied with. And I found that answer because I I if you will, built my own well. I had a problem, I dug the well, and now I have an answer. I did not rely too heavily on what other people were trying to say or or what other voices might have been trying to tell me was the answer, right? Because if you look to the world, they'll tell you, well, it's because God is not real. It's because if he was real, he doesn't care about you, whatever, right? But I was able to find something on my own and, and now I have a deeper understanding of scripture. So to sum it up, what I'm trying to say is, you know, understand that our knowledge is never complete. Right, that we have to constantly be learning and studying and digging into the word and the scripture to understand what it actually says. And if we do have to connect the dots, if we do have to infer, if we do have to come up with our own conclusions, we want to know that it's going to be right. We want to know that it's going to be the best possible answer. And the only way to do that is to better understand scripture. Right? You have to better understand what the dots are, what the implications are, what the inferences are, what the pieces of the puzzle are to better get to that conclusion. So I encourage you to make the faith your own. Don't rely on what you've been taught as a kid or what you've heard in in, uh, in church or from your pastors or your preachers, because as good as that is, some of them have probably told you things that I just told you are not in scripture. You know, you were probably under the impression that something was there that really isn't. And that can cause problems later on down the road when you are in a place of doubt or you're in a place of challenge or somebody's trying to present a contradiction to you or somebody's trying to present a hole in scripture to you. And if you don't really know what the Bible actually says, then you're not going to be able to adequately respond. But here's the second one, the second application. And this is far more important, I believe, than the first. Maybe not important, but I think it's something we need to focus on far more. And it's simply this. Focus on the explicit. I think as Christians, one of our biggest problems in the church today is that we focus too much on what the Bible implies, what the Bible might mean, or what it might be saying. You know, just our last episode, uh, me, Mark, and Shane did an episode on denominations. And one of the big reasons the church is so divided is because we focus on what the Bible might be saying or what the Bible implies is the truth instead of what the Bible actually says. I I use the example of the Trinity. I know I mentioned it a couple times, but I, I think it's a great example of what I'm trying to say here. The Bible does not explicitly mention the Trinity, yet we spent so many years you know, decades, centuries debating it. You know, churches have divided over it. You know, much of the early uh, uh, Christians, when trying to develop what the creed of the church was, struggled with this. You know, just on a side note, because I love the story, um, St. Augustine, he was a theologian from, I don't know, 200 AD, I think. Um, Great great theologian. I encourage you to read his books, buy his books. You know, he's a phenomenal man, very smart, very in tune with scripture and with the spirit. But he wanted to write a book on the Trinity. And it's an absolutely massive book, thousands of pages, huge. And he tells of this vision that he had. Um, And he says that in this vision, he was walking along the the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And he sees this boy digging a hole in the sand. And he goes up to the kid and he says, uh, you know, what are you doing? Why are you digging this hole? And the kid says, well, I want to take all that water, right? He points out to the Mediterranean Sea. He says, I want to take all that water 
and I want to put it in this hole. And Augustine kind of scoffs at the kid, and he says, you know, I paraphrase, but he says, you know, you're, you're stupid, kid. You can't put the entirety of the Mediterranean Sea into a hole in the sand. It's just not possible. And the kid looks at St. Augustine, and he says, so too is your attempt to understand the Trinity. And I love that story. Whether it's true or not doesn't change the principle of what he's trying to say is that, you know, there's certain things that we just can't understand. We can't find answers for, whether they're too grand of an idea or because scripture doesn't give us enough pieces to put the puzzle together. There are certain things that we just cannot truly understand or come to an answer on. And and I know this is something I've said a couple of times on the podcast Whenever me and Mark are talking about uh, a theological debate, you know, some kind of a topic like that, at some point I will mention that at the end of the day, this doesn't really matter. It's important to have the conversation. It's important to talk about it. And eventually we can come to a right answer, perhaps, but it doesn't change the fundamentals of what we are to be as Christians. For example, uh, free will versus predestination. It's important, we should talk about it, but the Bible doesn't explicitly say anything about it, right? Any conclusion is implied and inferred. And the more time we spend on that is less time we can spend on what is explicitly said in the Bible, right? It doesn't change our our faith. It doesn't change how we evangelize. It doesn't change how we act as Christians if we are once saved, always saved or not. You know, it doesn't change anything at all. And, And... by focusing on the explicit, right? What is explicitly said in the Bible? Here's the best one I can think of. Love one another. Just that, those three words alone, love one another, is mentioned 12 times in the New Testament. Now, that might not seem like much, but that's a a whole lot more than most of the other things we bicker and argue about, right? Love one another. And not only that, but when it is mentioned, Jesus tells us, they will know you are one of my followers by how you love one another. The greatest commandment is to love one another. By loving your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the law. Right? Those are a few examples where Jesus explicitly tells us that loving one another is one of the most important things we can do, second only to loving God. Right? Love God, love your neighbor you do well. That is explicit. That is clearer than day. That is in your face. And that doesn't include the many times it is inferred, the many times it is uh, expressed in different wording, right? That's just that one phrase, love one another, but it's said in many other ways. Love is mentioned dozens more times, hundreds of times in the scripture. I mean, what, what does Paul say? If I have not love, I'm nothing. You know, I can build cathedrals, I could feed the hungry, I could, you know, help the widows, I could do this, I can do that, I can climb the mountain peaks, I can do whatever I want, but if I I don't do it in love, I have nothing, right? If I don't do it in love, I have nothing. I mean, this is explicit. (laughs) This is as explicit in the scripture as you can get with something. And, And so what I'm trying to say is, let's not focus on what is implied, Yes, we can talk about free will versus predestination, but we shouldn't focus on it. It shouldn't divide our churches. It shouldn't divide our relationships. Even something like, you know, homosexuality. You know, sure, there's some implied mentions of it in the Old Testament, but you get a handful of scriptures that even then are loosely translated and not really describing what was intended very well. But we focus so heavily on that when in reality, we should be focusing on what we do know, which is to love one another. You know, I, I it, it's sad to see how far we've gotten from some of these not only basic commands, but such clear commands. We, we focus so much on what is or isn't a sin, how a, a service should be ran, right? Who can be a pastor? Who can't be a pastor? you know, how the government should run, how it shouldn't run. And we focus so much energy 
and, and so much time and, and effort on these things that the Bible maybe infers, maybe implies, and we ignore the most basic explicit commands, love one another. I, I guess my, my point to say is that, you know, go back and, and listen to that list of things that I've said, things like cursing, right? We make such a big deal about cursing and, and you know, saying bad words, and the Bible doesn't mention anything about it. You know, what happened to loving our neighbors and loving one another? You know, we get so caught up on things that the Bible doesn't even mention. And this is why I want us to be informed, to, to read the scripture and understand what it says, because we're fast approaching a world that, I, I really, we're already in a world that despises the church in many ways. You know, I, I not to bring back in current events, but I was reading some responses to the uh, the recent Roe v. Wade overturning, and so many people, so many people were just, were, were angry at Christians and the church. You know, I, I read one post about a lady who went to her church after the decision, and she was, you know, heartbroken to see how you know, celebratory and over the moon everybody was when there were people who are genuinely hurt and distraught by this. You know, people are angry at how Christians are acting after this decision is made. And the one common factor that I see amongst Christians' response to uh, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is there's an extreme lack of love. People are more happy that politics went their way than they are concerned about loving those who are now distraught and angry and hurt you know and and if there's one thing one thing that we can take away from this message from this podcast is focus on what the bible does tell us to do and the bible is very clear love one another I know I'm saying that one thing. I know there's other things the Bible's explicit on, but this is such a cornerstone of the faith. And the more and more I think about it, the less and less of it I see. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's every time we, the past couple podcasts we've done, me and Mark, I just, it always comes to my mind. There's not enough love in the church. You know, I think we've come too, we've gotten too distracted on what the Bible might be saying and not enough on what it does. Who cares if somebody you know is gay? It could be a sin, it could not be. I really don't care if we're loving them, right? I'll be more upset at you if you're not loving that person than I would be at them for committing the sin, <laughs> right? That's a, a bigger mistake on us for not loving them than it is the other way around. You know, Jesus doesn't say, love your neighbor unless they're a sinner. Love your neighbor unless they don't love you. Love your neighbor unless they're a Southern Baptist. No, there's no asterisk. There's no exception. There's no rule to it. You know, and, and when we focus on the implied verses, the implied scripture, we get bogged down by legalism and hatred and confusion and just all kinds of, you know, bickering and quarreling, <laughs> you know, all kinds of, of problems that come from trying to focus on what the Bible doesn't actually say. So I, I think I've talked enough on this. I, I think you got my point. To sum it up, one, make your own faith, build your own faith, have your own relationship with the scripture and with Jesus you know, don't allow others, you know, again, yes, listen to pastors, listen to preachers, go to church, but don't be afraid to take control of your own faith and have your own understanding of what the scripture actually is saying and, and, and what is actually there, right? Be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to give you answers and clarity and guide you in what you're reading and, and where you're looking. And secondly, Focus on the explicit. 
There's a time and a place to argue theology. There's a time and a place to connect dots in the scripture. There's a time and a place to try to infer what the scripture says. That's all good and well, and there is a place for it. But our number one job is to focus on what the scripture does tell us. Love one another. Evangelize. Spread the good news. Spread the word. Right. Focus on what scripture does tell us to do. And then when there's time and in the right setting, we can talk about theology. We can talk about uh, certain issues in the church. We can, we can talk about what the Bible might be saying. But focus on the explicit. Make sure you know what the explicit is. Make sure you know what the scripture is saying and not saying and focus on what it does say. Thank you very much for listening. I, I know this uh, went kind of long, um, but it's so important. Again, this has really been on my mind a lot. I, I don't feel like there's enough love in the church. And hopefully this not only enlightens you to some new things that are not in the scripture, but I hope that we can take from this and we can take charge of our faith, take charge of what we know and don't know, and focus on what the Bible actually is telling us to do, and put some of the the other stuff, the you know the shakier implications of the Bible, some of the things that are less solid, put that on the back burner and focus on what we know is true and what we know we should be doing, and, and let God take care of the rest. Let the Spirit guide us. You know, if we're doing what we know we should be doing, then the rest will fall into place. Thank you for listening. Uh, Send us an email. Follow us on Instagram. uh, Say hi to us in church. Whatever. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace.